I've been working on a beer, a non-alcoholic beverage. I don't even think of it as a beer, a non-alcoholic beverage with the team at the team at Athletic Brewing. Uh, John, the head brewer, um, he may not agree with how I like to drink it, but one of my favorite concoctions in the world, and I really started drinking them a lot with Booker and Dax, uh, which was at the back of some bar with Dave Arnold. He would make a Rattler. Mm. And I didn't know what it is. What I did know is what a cool name for a drink. Mm. I thought it was spelled R-A-T-T-L-E-R, not R-A-D-L-E-R, whatever. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) All you need to know is this. It's extraordinarily refreshing. Mm -hmm. And it's usually a lemonade. And I've seen other citrus fruits paired with a very light, light beer the kind of beer that I really like to drink. And you pour that over ice, mm. Ooh, mm. nothing beats it. Truly and, delicious. And really, I've been working on this thing for almost 18 months, so it's out right now. Um, go drink it. It's delicious. Lemon. Lemon. Mm. It's really good. One of the best days of my life is when I admitted I just like my beer with fruit juice and ice. That was one of the, I felt freer that day than any other day in my life. Um, and I, I actually brought commentary on the plane the other day. It really does work quite well. Oh, on the plane? You brought your own little I pod? Did. I did. Living the life, man. I know. And here's what I knew that was cool. I got stopped by TSA. And they're like, what is this? I said, it's coffee. Like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's under three ounces and, and the you- reason this happened is because I've been flying back and forth from San Francisco my favorite town in the whole world mm-hmm. and I'm going back <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow. <laughs> some kind of cosmic joke so you just ask for a little cup of water and then add your commentary on the plane yeah I pour it into the water the bottle Jeez. yeah hmm. and you can find codes for this on our site and all this things yep yep uh, you can get discount codes. And again, to all things Momofuku as well, you can visit shop.momofuku.com and uh, get things that you need in your pantry. All right, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Demo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. So, Chris and I were on stage with Little Nas X. <laughs> Sentences. Who I, I, I call him Nas. <laughs> I call him Mr. X. But, and uh, he calls himself Montero, which is his name. And I said, I don't feel comfortable calling you by your name. I, can I call you Nas? This is all true. But I'm just thinking, Chris and I did an event on stage with little Nas X. Sentences that have never been spoken and I never would have thought would be spoken. And I've never been to Bottle Rocket. Extraordinary event. Shout out to William Sonoma. Um, a lot of people there. A lot of people, a lot more a than lot I. Of drunk people. <laughs> it is. It is a music and food festival built. I was amazed. I remember one time we were talking about this, Chang. We were talking about a frat party, and the, the frat party that we went to years and years and years ago when we were in Auburn for the Iron Bowl. And you went on this whole tirade about how the beer setup was incorrect. You need five kegs at different points of egress and all of this. Yeah. There were a lot of beer and wine. Like, there was no more than one person in line for a beer at any given time. It was impressive. Well, again, we're, we're describing something that will be meaningless to anybody that had did not go there. But I will say that um, we, we had to cook on stage. You had Jose Andres, Roy Choi. We did see something totally ridiculous. Kelly Kapowski and Derek Huff. Hugh? I think it's Huff. Huff? Is it Huff? 
Derek whatever. Huff. He's yeah. the brother to the more famous sister. That's mm-hmm. all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kelly Kobaska, who I'll never call her by her real name, who's clearly now a celebrity chef because she's got, she was making pinwheels of some sort. Anyway, I arrive and I go straight from the airport to the event. Mm-hmm. I have not enjoyed myself like everyone else. And I'm now worried. I'm like game time. I got to, I got to make sure I don't fumble this like the Boston Celtics. I got to like get this right. Yep. Right. Because truthfully, Chris and I had never practiced this. We were using, uh, we were going to use the microwave. I was going to technically compete against Chris, who's going to have little Nas as his sous chef. Didn't really practice any of this. And even if you've made like a dish before, it's very different when you're on, um, you're not playing at home, a home game. You're on away game. And different equipment, different everything. So I knowing this, I wanted to make sure that I practice everything. While practicing this setup, I was very, very um I lost my train of thought because I saw Kelly Kobowski and and Derek. Well, Derek took off a shirt. <laughs> and this they were the act before we went up there. And yes, we were this is the first thing we had seen. So we didn't know what to expect from you any of the You know what the, the opposite of Big Boy Asian Club is? Just fucking hot. <laughs> And Listen. that's what I think that a lot of people saw Derek as, wow, that guy's fucking hot. <laughs> like, I don't want, I don't want to put us on the complete opposite spectrum. No, I think hot, it is, but fine, fine. Is. He is very much on the opposite side of the spectrum. If fine. we took off our shirts on stage, yeah. I don't think people would go, Ooh, ah, just <laughs> taking <laughs> snapshots and posting it. It'd be more like, ah, yeah. Like, Oh, why they do that? <laughs> Um, so I was like, well, we can't take off our shirts now. <laughs> I was like, well, we can't beat this act because the most ridiculous thing was they got two ice baths and for no reason whatsoever, they stopped from cooking and it was a challenge of who could stay longer in a giant tub of ice water. If this sounds insane, it is insane. It's this insane. is nothing. He has not left out a single detail of this story. They were cooking and we were watching it. And suddenly they took off their clothes and got into ice baths. The only way this makes sense, having thought about it some more, is Kelly Kapowski was acting out a long lost script from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> it was a forgotten episode. Yeah, it was a forgotten episode because it was literally <laughs> the most nonsensical thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, oh, here's a pinwheel and you can put prosciutto in it. Hey, Derek, would you like to jump into this ice bath and see who can be longer? I'm so much tougher than you. I was like, what the fuck is happening? It was, I mean, it was seriously like scrolling through TikTok. It was just multiple 15 second scenes of things happening. I mean, I was, uh, it was totally it was perplexed. Bananas. And then we had to go up. But I, were you going to talk about this? Because I was, you know, you often talk about and you talk about in, in Eat a Peach about the the sort of golden hour before service. Yeah. And I, I've never worked with you in a kitchen. So you got to see this. it. I got to see this in real life. So just as a quick, so there's a tent you. beforehand. There's a tent before the stage, right? Where they're setting up all the food. And, but I mean, just as a, as a setup for what happens here, like the thing that Dave always talks about is the best time mentally, at least maybe not physically, maybe not schedule wise, the best time to work on a new idea or dish in the kitchen is in the one hour before service when you're scrambling to get ready. When the last thing in your mind should be turning your attention to something completely new, but you've always found that to be the most fertile yeah. time. And Chris got to see it. It was um, insane. <laughs> so uh, we had uh, tested out the recipes and then I was like, ah, I want to test it out again. 
we have now maybe 45 minutes before we go on stage. I decided to change it all up and then add a dish because I saw in the walk-in, Jose Andres had all of these beautiful Carboneros red shrimp, um, non-frozen, uh, not frozen. They're fresh, beautiful. And a bunch of other mise en place and supplies. And I was like, oh, I'm going to microwave this. I've never done it before. And then I was like, I wanted to show one pot microwave a mac and cheese from scratch in the any day. And I was like, oh yeah, Chris, I'm, I think I'm going to change it up. <laughs> so usually what, we, usually what we would do for a from scratch, meaning not out of the box macaroni cheese, is you would microwave the macaroni in, in one large any day, sort of set that to the side. And then, you know, the plan at least was Dave would make a microwave roux, then add milk, make a cheese sauce in a bowl, and then combine the two. That was, it was two, two bowl, it was a two bowl process. So microwave, uh, I don't know, a couple cups of elbow macaroni with salt, cover it with, like you're almost cooking rice in a rice cooker, just enough water, mm-hmm. like it's like half an inch above um, the, uh, the macaroni. And then I cover it, put it, cook it uncovered for nine minutes, mm-hmm. take it out, um, and then I add um, butter, a, not, a tumble, couple thumbles full of butter. Thumble spoons. Thumble spoons, um, milk, and flour. Yeah. And cheese, all at the same time. And the reason why that works, and listen, at the same time, I didn't even know when I posted this, I had no idea that Kenji put it, uh, uses evaporated milk instead of re- regular milk. Makes total sense, fine. But there's other ways to do it. And uh, I, I didn't know. Listen, a lot of things can happen without people knowing. But I assure you, nobody's ever made fucking mac and cheese like this. <laughs> and I just take a spoon all in one pot and I mix it all up. And the reason why it works is because the flour um, gets agitated by the actual macaroni. So it's, it almost acts as a whisk itself. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is move it around and then put it back in the microwave for about four minutes and you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. It is truly remarkable. And I'd never done that before. Um, and then I decided to go one bit further and add milk to the water as it boils. So I don't have to add milk mm-hmm. and there's no straining. I don't need a colander that works really well, but visually probably didn't work because some of the milks froths up. Um, anyway, I, I did that and I didn't know it would work. It worked. And I, I would never have thought about that unless I was in that environment. In that exact, in that, that, that golden hour right there. But I mean, I, 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 I don't know. The shrimp was delicious too. Okay, super should, delicious. But we talk about the shrimp in one second, but the macaroni cheese, like, it blew my mind looking at this because, like you said, it makes all the sense once you did it. You know, you've got all this macaroni in a book, in a bowl, it's all cooked. You're not going to have any clumps of flour because no. they're all just ag- doing, agitating and spreading out. It's ripping hot. So it's all going to sort of like emulsify in this thing immediately. The, the water starchy. The cheese sauce came out perfectly smooth and glossy and combined. There was no clumpiness, no breaking. It looked exactly like a homemade bechamel cheese sauce with mac and cheese. And it was all, it was crazy. And you had no idea it was going to work. No, but this is why, you know, we've talked about a lot in, in film and TV and cinematographers talk about the golden hour for me. And I do know this is true because I've used this technique hundreds of times over the years with recipes. If I'm producing an idea with another chef, um, I'm always like, let's do this at four to four thirty. And they always look at me with this look of, are you crazy? Because it's a, a sense of impossible. You can't work on a dish while breaking down your station, 
while people are mopping the floor, getting ready for service. People might be seating in 30 minutes to an hour. You got pre-service. There's all of these things happening. Mm -hmm. Yet, how does that make sense? Like you almost have to make it impossible for you, for me. That's like, I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but I do know that this is a widely effective way of creativity for me. Number one, being under that duress of time causes me to sort of like slow down like a, like a serial killer in, in mm-hmm. some way. Like the more hectic, if it's too, too hectic, it doesn't work. But a sense of adrenaline is there, which takes away any of my, my, my subconscious or my ability, my inner monologue, mm. right? So what I, what I see, so that, how that translates when I'm watching you in that last 20, 30, 40 minutes, you become ultra decisive. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, well, maybe I could do this. I could do this. Maybe I'll do this. You don't have time to, for any of that. You become decisive in and, making And the irony is, is I'm a stress case and people growing up used to make fun of me because under like, it's why I did so poorly on the SATs and just school in general. I, I stress out terribly because I can't filter out the shit in my head. So it all just turns into crap and I get a terrible grade. And in general, if you ask my wife, like I'm a, str- a stress ball. Like I don't work well under that kind of duress. Mm. But when I'm physically there and there's other things happening, I tend to work extremely well. Um, and things slow down to a degree. I'm decisive because there is no other chance for me. Right. It's like having blinders on. And for me, the inner monologue is, oh, it's not cool enough. It's Mm -hmm. not, it could be better if I did this, this, or this. And to me, it allows me to create as the crow flies without it sort of like, it plays to my strengths Mm -hmm. personally, because I can't fuck it up. Oh, I can clearly. But I think over the years, and I do recommend this to anybody, and you don't even have to be in the culinary profession to do that. And you don't even have to be pre-service per se. But sometimes the best ideas happen when you least expect it, clearly. And sometimes ideas, I, I remember Thomas Keller many years ago saying his ideas always come from flaying fish. And you talk to a lot of chefs, they'll say the same thing. Breaking down fish or butchery in general is where they come up with ideas all the time. To me, that is just too sedate and, and too zen. Mm-hmm. I need, I need commotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I, I was like, I remember telling you, like, I think you're seeing me in this moment because I just had an idea and you try it. And what happens is you try it in that moment because you're like, I have no other choice or um, you don't edit it in your head. You just sort of see it. And I, I think it works quite well. And um, I remember saying like, we should probably talk about this on the pod because historically that's worked extremely well for me. And I have seen it work for other people. Um, and that led into like, I was like, I walk in and I see these beautiful red shrimp and I'm like, who's using these? And like, uh, I was like, I'm just taking them. And I'm like, I'm taking all of this other mise en place. You had shiso, you had garlic, you had all this other aromatic stuff. We were the last, we were the last, last act one. of this festival. So, so I all this was up for anyone yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I was. Cause I think that people were cooking, I think I think maybe the only thing was some of the kitchen staff had their eyes on eating some of it. Oh yeah, but that's it. And then we had um, some big lobsters that were dead in the shell. And I've never here's another thing: I never cooked um, <laughs> lobsters in a microwave it, with a shell on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a little bit nervous. And, and we're going on stage, so I I do a, a test run on the shrimp, knowing the again. This is when if you have the science behind something, you know what's going to work. Microwave is a steamer. 
All right. No problem. So if I do this in the, you know, gambas with uh, lots of garlic and olive oil, I know that's going to be delicious. Again, I might lose some Maillard reaction because it's not on a planche or something like that. But the reality is I don't think you're ever going to get that much caramelized sugar from your fish because you're cooking it so quickly anyway. So all of this is in my mind. And I'm like, okay, uh, I would love some aromatics that is a fresh green. They only had uh, shiso. I was like, fuck it. Might Mm. be weird. I don't know if Little Nas X even like shiso, but I said, fine, I'll throw that in. Um, Put some momo soy sauce in there and some momo chili crunch, olive oil, a knob of butter. And, you know, put it in. 50% 50% power for nine minutes or 40% power. Never cooked, never cooked it before. And it came out beautiful. <laughs> the, I, I, I don't know if we've talked about this enough on this, but the, at 40% power, 50% power, not full, full microwave power. The cook on shellfish in the microwave is perfect. Not, not perfect for a microwave, not perfect for home. Perfect. It's perfect. It's, 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 I will legitimately tell you that I think you can get some of the best cooking on seafood in general in a microwave. And again, going back to sort of the commencement speech, people might laugh at this, right? And I feel like I've had to train myself to sort of be attracted to these things. At any other point in my life, I'm sure if you talk to anybody that says they're a professional chef, like, would you microwave expensive shrimp in a would you take microwave, uh, well, would you take beautiful, very, very expensive red shrimp mm-hmm. and microwave it? The answer across the board would be 98% no. Nine, nine, everyone would say, no, you're stupid. Yeah. I would say the same thing. And these are the, this is what I call a bad idea. This is what I, how I made basically my career going after things like this. And I have to ask myself, my default setting would also say, oh, that's stupid. That's lame. That's not cooking. You're pressing a button. And then I ask myself, why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. Is it because I've been trained to do so? I've been conditioned to do so? On the other hand, I know the science behind it. And I know that it would work. And if I believe in a world governed by science, reason, and logic, then the other part of whatever I'm saying is culturally stupid. Right. And I looking at all of the assistants and kitchen help, and they're like, "What is this dude doing? <laughs> like this guy's so crazy." I mean, you took it, it is true. I think if you looked around, you took the most expensive thing in the refrigerator and put it in the microwave, and I think everyone's first reaction is, "Oh my God, what is he doing?" I mean, they just were still perplexed that I made beautiful mac and cheese in the microwave in one pot, and it was delicious and you know what? I, I was, when it came out, I was like, oh shit, I, I, I hope this tastes good. I tasted it. We ate it all. And all we made another batch and everyone ate it all. It was so good. And uh, again, like I would say that, and when I put it on a plate, if I put it on a, be- a plate and I plated it somewhat nicely, you could serve that in a restaurant. I could have charged 60 bucks for that. Easy. 60, 75 bucks. Because mm-hmm. probably more considering how expensive those shrimp are. And it's like one of those, if you don't know, you'd probably say this is one of the, be- I would say this is one of the best shrimps dishes you've ever had in your life. And then it's like, fool you, like punk, like I cooked it in a microwave. I don't want to do that. I wanted it to get to a point where it's not necessarily even embracing the microwave per se or using any days. It's more of, there are so many things that are actually awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the conversation, you, if, you were to, if you were to just present this, uh, just speaking to a random chef, you would say, 
hey, would you ever cook, you know, gambas in a, in a microwave? They would say, no. And you, if you said, why not? They would say something like, it's going to come out rubbery. It's going to come out whatever, whatever. And then the question would be, how do you know? Have you ever done it? And the answer would invariably be no. I remember there was a, a, a chef that I worked with, right? And uh, at the time, I was beginning to learn a lot more about science. Um, this is pre when I was lecturing at the Harvard Food and Science thing. I'm just beginning to know Harold McGee. And I had great resources. Christina Potosi, Wiley Dufresne, sort of just universe where people would be like, hey, these are new techniques and you should learn about them. Not everybody did. Um, and I remember when I was at Kraft, and I'll t- finish this story I was talking about in a second, but it was the first time I remember xanthan gum being introduced. Mm-hmm. And the chef I worked, well, he, they worked at Gramercy Tavern and they were like, that's so stupid. Hmm. Lame. Right? There were, and I know I've talked about this before, maybe three years ago when we first started in this podcast. There's a guy named David who had just came back from El Bouyi, working there. And everyone was like, that's not food. That's not cooking. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those people now is like, that's what the greatest restaurant of all time. It's very similar to, again, when you listen to a, a terrible, you think it's a terrible album. It's just that you're dense and you're stupid. And then you're like, oh, that's amazing. So there was a period of time, really, for many years, and quite frankly, the American audience at large is still allergic to it, of cooking in new ways that challenge the traditional ways. And I hate the idea of molecular gastronomy, that idea, because really what it is, is about learning about food, the science behind food, and why it works. It has nothing to do with foams and chemicals. That's just, that's not it. It's actually like, how do I arm myself with the most amount of knowledge to give me the options and choice to make a dish in the best way possible with the seasonality of ingredients or whatever. And going back, I I remember having this conversation with chef and we had a real, I won't say falling out, but it was a, a time where I remember thinking, I am not going to go down the road that you're on. Mm -hmm. Cause it was, you it very much split into I want to learn the new or I just want to cook with fire. Mm-hmm. And many of my friends that were, I want to cook with fire and flame. I want to feel the heat. They just talked extremely poorly about anything new mm-hmm. and sous vide cooking, all of this stuff, which now is again, people have at their home. But at the time people were like really allergic to the idea. Because it wasn't cooking. It it didn't feel, I wouldn't even say masculine is the right word. Mm. Because it, it just was a, I remember thinking like, why are you guys feeling this way? It's so weird. Mm. You're telling me you don't want to learn more? There's so much to learn. And right. I'm saying you can't learn more about cooking over fire. But they didn't want to learn more. There was a chef that I I know that said, my cooking I never want it to be any color than a navy blue blazer. And I thought to myself, and here's the thing. I understand they can feel that way. and I'm not saying they're wrong. But for me, that is not what I want to do. Even though I do wear multiples of the same thing, creatively, like I want to push. I want to explore. And the other end, listen, you can get something like Jiro. That's fine. You can have one of the most exquisite meals when you're cooking the same thing over and over and over again. 
But really for me, it was the division between people that were accepting of the new and wanted to be challenged and to acquire more knowledge versus people that were like, I'm not going to do any of that. And you could see this culturally in other patterns. I had Kevin O'Connor, I had Kevin O'Connor, who's outside right now, and Ryan, uh, Kevin Clark, and a few other people uh, over the years. Because whenever I would read something in sports or society at large, where it's particularly in sports, where data and analytics and sabermetrics happen, you know, if you want to familiarize yourself, just watch Moneyball or read the book. You had this real division, you know, uh, very similar to like Protestant and Catholicism. People are like, no way. I'm not going to listen to nerds. <laughs> I don't want to listen to data because this baseball player doesn't look like they're a baseball player. And again, intuition's important. Same thing in football with analytics, same thing in basketball with analytics. And then all of a sudden the Warriors break the mold with three-point shooting. I don't want to belabor the point with all the other points in culture, but it was very similar. And I just remember having so much confusion as to why somebody wouldn't want to know more. Mm -hmm. But in food, there are a lot of people that don't want to know more. They just want to do what they do. And they don't want to challenge anything they're comfortable with. Ultimately, that's one of the problems why I think the restaurant industry at large was so unprepared, even though the world was unprepared at large, for the pandemic. Yeah. You know, we could have been better prepared. So, Again, a lot of this is a, not a digression for what I'm talking about in the microwave, but I just want to get to a point where if I told a, a, a bunch of chefs, hey, cook this in a microwave, they would say, absolutely not. That's not cooking. I think it's okay to feel that way. I felt that way. But wouldn't you want to explore? Yeah. Don't you want to question, right? Why do you feel the microwave is stupid? Mm-hmm. Why do you feel it's not cooking? Because guess what? The same people that talk shit about sous vide cooking, the same people that talk shit about xanthan gums and hydrocolloids, they're using it now. Except when people that are dumb that use hydrocolloids, they just throw that shit in there in a blender without measuring anything. That's like, I still see remnants of the stupidity. Mm -hmm. And I still do it myself, quite frankly. And I understand that, but... It's not how you're supposed to use it. It's about precision. And there's still this allergic reaction from ever actually like sort of surrendering yourself to the idea that science actually works in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And if you marry them together, you can get something extraordinary. And that's why I remember just seeing the reaction, not just from you when we're trying to cook right beforehand and coming over with ideas, the vibe of the people in the tent were like, what the fuck is happening here? Right. And I said, just keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Think about the science of it. And I'm not saying this is the only way to cook shrimp, but wouldn't you rather know that there is another way that is in your arsenal? Right. Well, that's, that's the whole thing. I, I think that, um, I think that there is a, maybe not an allergy to, to knowing, but there's people think that there is that knowing something else is mutually exclusive to choosing to do it a different way. Like you, what you just said, wouldn't you just like to know you can elect to maybe, maybe you want to go, maybe once you know, you'll elect to go back to doing it a different way and you'll do it however you want to do it. But why wouldn't you just want to know? I mean, I, there are I many about, chefs that combine the two. I'm not trying to say they're not, but I'd still see this mindset in all facets of the culinary world. 
I mean, I, it makes me think of, you know, our, our, our good friend, the late Jason Poland was, could sit there in front of an object and draw it with such detail and accuracy. And he was just an incredibly talented uh, artist and he could, he could make things look exactly as they appeared and was very skilled at doing that. But he made a decision that his, his art was going to be about making quick impressionistic drawings of as many things as he could. So he would just draw things on the subway and they wouldn't look super realistic, but he knew how to do both. And when you know how to do both, you can make, that's how you always talk about having point of view and perspective and, and voice. How are you going to have a voice if you haven't explored every possibility? How do you choose something if you're, if you're only choosing from one option? You know, it really was so good. And I'm not saying that so because I, I made it. It was like legitimately delicious. And I was like, wow. And that's what I want to say. Even I have to remind myself when I taste it, like, holy shit, this is really good. That's how strong this bias is, right? Um, and again, cooking a lobster in a microwave, you know, I've done it frozen. I've never done the whole body. That to me has got to be, I got to post something about it because people probably when they see it, their head would explode because mm-hmm. it seems so wrong. It seems perverse, mm-hmm. but I don't have to wait for boiling water. It's extremely quick. I can, I can cook the, I cooked them. Uh, I broke down the lobster in the shell and I cooked it for two and a half minutes at like 50% power, just enough to separate the shell. Right. It was it was like amazing because I turned that later in a lobster roll. I added butter and I cooked everything in different because like again, if you're going to cook lobster at home or in a restaurant, you don't just put the whole fucking lobster in. Like you see on cooking shows. The really best places will cook it very differently. You'll break down the lobster, you'll take the gills out of the body, and you're gonna save all those bodies because lobster bodies make delicious uh, stock. You're gonna if they're really fucking big, you're going to maybe take a rolling pin and crush out all of the leg meat. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to take the knuckles, you're going to take the claws, and you're going to take the tail. And all of those components cook at different times. Mm-hmm. Restaurant is about precision. You know, do I cook that way at home? No. <laughs> but, right. you know, that's what you do and that's what I did. And, you know, it came out great. I didn't use the knuckles because I didn't have time to cut through it all. But, you know, I was like, holy shit. I, I wanted a sensation. I can't believe it fucking worked. You know, guess what? I trusted science and it didn't fail me. Right, right. And by the way, so the demo, at the end of the demo, you had Connecticut style lobster rolls and these red shrimp and chili in, in 20. I could have gone faster, but I was minutes. waiting for you. <laughs> It takes a long time on the uh, on the old fireway. Um, and thank you, Little Nas X, uh, for being a good sport of it all. It's better that you didn't know how big he was until after you left the stage. Okay. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know he that. He got in the car and he starts looking through Spotify playing Little Nas X and he's like, holy shit, this guy's got a lot of listeners. Yeah, he's got 34 million <laughs> subscribers on Spotify. I was like, Okay. <laughs> That's a lot of people. That's why I was... All I knew was that first song. I thought he was maybe, you know... I know, but I told you I was nervous before. You were, you were like, why? And then afterward, you said, holy shit. After I did it. Yeah. I didn't even... Afterward. I'm sure people like, I guarantee you, he, he has no idea. And you're right. I had no fucking idea. <laughs> but he's an extremely pleasant 
pleasant man and uh, very tall. Very, very tall. Very sweet. Very funny. Um, one more quick story before we change up. Just take a break. Uh, actually, let's just take a break. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs, scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. So another thing happened. I want to talk about this sort of in general before we get into the meat of some things. I took the plane ride up and Derek Huff was on a plane too. Oh, he was? You didn't (laughs) tell me that. (laughs) And there was another person who I've met several times. I was on the plane and I met her at least a dozen times. Mm-hmm. At least. I do not know where this is going. And I can never remember her name. Okay. 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 And I didn't even know who Derek Huff's name was. All I know is that's the brother to the more <laughs> famous sister. Okay. And, you know, we're sitting in the lounge and I'm like, do I? I'm not going to. I didn't even know. I didn't even look at the, if he was going to be on. I had no idea it was going to be right before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to say hello. I don't even know the fucking dude. I didn't know what, you know, his name. I'm going to say hello. Okay. And I feel like I got a look of like, and I just turned away. <laughs> but I'm going to introduce myself. Hi, I'm David Chang. You might know me from such memorable dishes as the pork bun. <laughs> I mean, there, <laughs> you, you, you shouldn't do that, but there are other human ways to introduce yourself. But oh, yeah, I hear you're coming from. I mean, what was I going to do? I mean, I listen, I'm not going to argue. I also would not have said hello, but you don't have to introduce yourself like that. You could also say, hey, hey, what's up? My name's Dave. But instead, I didn't. I became the introverted me, and I was like, I hope I never talk to this person. <laughs> I hope I don't end up standing next to this person yeah. for three hours later. Today. Yeah, which ironically was, again, my Larry David <laughs> moment. By me trying to avoid conversation, you, I was stuck next to this fucking <laughs> handsome, hot dude for several hours. So because of my inability to be a normal fucking citizen, <laughs> I made it so awkward. Yeah, you exactly. You guaranteed that you would have to spend a lot of time. Every with this time person. he would like even remotely like glance in the, my direction. I turned around. <laughs> I, was like, I can't, I can't, I can't even acknowledge that I see this person because <laughs> I've missed the window. I missed the window of saying hello. Right. Um, Right. I just missed it. You have a window to be able to say hello. And once you miss it, it's like worse than being in a friend zone in a relationship. You cannot fucking go uh, back. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Once you've missed the, the, the window where you clearly have noticed each other and you clearly should have said hello. Now you have to go out of your way to ignore this person. flight to Napa. I don't want to make the assumption like, hey, man, you're going to bottle rocket <laughs> bottle rock. I, I don't even know who he is. I know nothing about him. Nothing. Okay. What am I supposed to say? Like. Could be totally wrong. I felt it was more conservative for me just to acknowledge, not acknowledge his existence. 
Which bit me in the ass. <laughs> Wait, but there was another person also that you refused to say hello to. This is the opposite. Oh. This is the opposite. This person, sometimes I feel like can look like a lot of people <laughs> when I met this person. Okay. Shapeshifter. Shapeshifter, but sometimes the hair's up, sometimes it's down. Mm. I've seen a lot of different outfits, sometimes makeup, sometimes no makeup. And I've seen her enough over like 12, 13, 14 times, at least over a dozen. Every time. And I just saw her. Uh, is, this, is this like a public persona or is I this just, just a person you know? I just saw her on Mother's Day, right? Okay. <laughs> She's not a public person. Just the person you know. But she works with a lot of my friends. Okay. Right? And I would tell you her name, but I still don't remember her fucking name. Remini <laughs> Crown, does she listen to the podcast? She could very well. I just want to say, I'm sorry. And if I was acting like a total weirdo, it's because I just don't remember your name. And I, what am I supposed to say? How do I even get your name? Because here's the thing. At least six of those dozen times, she has introduced herself to me. Mm-hmm. Right? I can tell you all about the people she works with, what she does. Well, you've, so you've passed the point for sure. I get you. You've passed the point where it is incredibly rude now to just say, I'm so sorry. What's your name again? It's been well, way it's too a little bit times. like the Seinfeld episode with the, you know, the, when Terry Hatcher was in it and you know, <laughs> you've got to find Dolores. out. <laughs> I, I'm not dating this person, but I will continue to see this person. Mm-hmm. 100%. I'm going to continue to see this person. They're in the world of food. <laughs> not a surprise that they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Right. And what do I do now? And I don't know anybody that knows her to ask. Oh, ask for a little help. And you didn't have, you were traveling alone. So you couldn't have pulled off the, Hey, uh, this is Chris. And then I would say, so here's, here, here's the problem. She wound up saying hello to me. Mm. And I said, uh, Hey, (laughs) Hey, great to see you again. And then pretend I'm busy and walk away. Ironically, her name is Ruru. <laughs> and I think I was like, thank God I didn't see her the rest of the then we went on stage pretty much. She was there. That's brutal, man. <laughs> and here's where it really sucked for me. On the way home, early in the morning. Guess who was at the airport? <laughs> no. Yeah. Same again. But I had to pretend I, I didn't see her. Oh my God, dude, you're out of control. Because <laughs> I didn't know what to do. You're out of control. I had to pretend man. that I didn't make eye contact. <laughs> like I kept the distance far away where I could like. Right. You were just, you were, you were. <laughs> but you have to be on high alert. You have to act nonchalant, but also be aware of your surroundings at all time and know where this person is to keep your proper yeah. 25 yard distance. Does anyone else have this problem? Yeah, or is constantly. It just no, I will. You see somebody that you don't want to speak to, and you create like a invisible. She, she's rope. lovely. I have no problem. I just I can't remember her fucking name. You know, how terrible that is. But in in the course of an of a, a one on one conversation, unless they are unless they are in that sort of Seinfeld way, just a sociopath who's going to quiz you. I just want to let people to know, for the most part, it's because I'm naturally an introvert, and I don't want to fucking talk to anybody. Because I don't know your name, and I will go out of my way never to confront that reality. I feel you. Listen, I, I, I don't I, have I t- resting bitch face. I have resting asshole face. <laughs> Names are hard, man. Yeah, 
I just uh, wanted to give everyone share my thoughts on you're missing your hello introduction window because you can never go back. It's an impossibility. There are certain people who are really good at remembering names. Chen remembers every name. I, I can remember everything about this person, but their fucking name. Yeah, I know that tough. I don't know the remember their children's names. But anyway, I have no doubt that this person is like, what a dick. <laughs> because you didn't pull it off. Like, let's be real. You didn't pull it off. They knew you were in the same play, plane back. You didn't pull it off. Let's it's be also real. seven in the morning. But let's be honest. She knew that you saw her there and that you were avoiding her. You, in my knew. mind, no, it didn't happen. But she knew. So, yes, it's reinforced. If an objective person was watching, they would probably think to themselves, that guy's weird. (laughs) Why does he seem to be staying 20 yards away from this person? Why is he clearly not trying to acknowledge this person? (laughs) Yeah, but she knew. So, apologies to whoever you are. Um, For whatever reason, just big shout out to Greta Lee. Uh, There's a scene in the movie that reminds me of something I'm just talking about. Past Lives. I think that's coming out soon. I saw a screening. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Um, Anyway, let's take a break. (laughs) We have so many things to talk about, uh, but I'm going to continue to take us off our (laughs) schedule programming. You keep looking at our run sheet as though we're going to talk about what's on there, but what do you you got? So Chris and I were at the Lakers game. um, Yes, we were. And they got eliminated. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was a moment that I did. Remember what I did? What are you referring to here? Uh, when I um, decided to be like... Oh, you wanted to be a hero. A hero? Yeah. I played hero ball. Mm-hmm. I, pulled, I was literally on Dion Waiters. <laughs> you wanted to be a hero. Yeah. So we're at the Lakers game. Um, we're at the Spotify suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the game four when they get swept. Yes. Um, we walk in and there's nothing there. There's no corn nuts. It there's could no, really use the Spotify office snacks. No, no love corn, nothing in there. Sort of depressing. A little bit. Not the game, but the fact that there was there was a lot of Michelob Ultra <laughs> and bottles of water that you're not supposed to drink because they're the kinds of bottled water that go into mixed drinks. That was pretty much it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little tiny balls. And listen, I think that it it just gets pummeled because they're hosting people all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I wasn't hungry, but I thought, I go to Chris, I'm like, you know what? I think we can like improve things here by buying some stuff. So we went to look out where we could buy uh, some food. We saw Korean pizza. We saw Korean pizza. We saw Korean bulgogi something. Not pizza. It was not pizza. Sausage. Yeah, sausage. And it was like 29 bucks. Yeah. It really was. But what you actually said was, let's be heroes. <laughs> I literally said, let's be heroes here. Because <laughs> there were some Spotify top brass. I was like, come on, this is good to impress. There, there were some Spotify top brass. There were some people with clout in that room who were looking hungry. Yeah. So what did we do? We went to the one stand that was there. And I first was going to buy just two chicken fingers and french fries. <laughs> And then I was like, Chris, you think that's enough? There's like 16, 20 people there. By the way, we haven't even seen if they're hungry. <laughs> Had they already eaten? Knew nothing. We also don't know most of them. We know nobody. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, I should get another one. Third. Mm-hmm. And then we're about to settle up the bill. No, I get, a, I get three buckets of popcorn, mm-hmm. bag of peanuts. Big bag of peanuts, three popcorns, three chicken fingers, 
and your credit card is out in your hands. And then I'm like, I think we need to get another order. <laughs> so all in, it's about four chicken fingers per thing. So 16. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's like 20 people there. Everyone can theoretically get at least one or filled up on a bunch of French fries. But there's now enough food for mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. We walk in like conquering heroes. What, what do you think? What do you think the mood of the room was when we showed up? Uh, it was it was somber. <laughs> There's no reaction. No, you you we expected to walk into applause and fanfare and and being showered with thank yous and oh my god, I love chicken fingers, and we got crickets. Little did I see that some of the people had already eaten chicken fingers. <laughs> I didn't do any homework, right? <laughs> I saw. I was like, oh no. There's like three orders of chicken fingers here already. <laughs> so that's a problem. So those people that just ate chicken fingers, they can't eat more chicken fingers because they just ate some. They're going to look like idiots. They don't want to look like idiots like we look. Right. Now, this is when I knew it got awkward. We put them on the sort of the table mm-hmm. and then I'm like, oh shit, there's another table below us. So I start spreading out the food everywhere so it doesn't look so bad. And it dawned on me, I was like, uh, we went with Bill, the pod father, and Bill looks at me. He's like, "We're not going to dinner now, are we?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Shit, no, I'm sorry, like- Bill. I'm, I fucked this up." And we started to eat pretty much all the food, just to not make it look more awkward. And we this is the first time I think it ever happened, which is why I want to talk about it as well. We had half the room pity eating, pity eating <laughs> because of uh, our move. It was my it was, move. The whole thing was first we were, we, were, we, we came in, we put all the food there. I think the first realization you tell me if you feel differently was, oh, we're two big boy Asians coming here. Does, does everyone think that this is all for, oh, for us? us. <laughs> That's another thing. When we put it all in front of us, I was like, it's a ton oh, of food, it's a ton of food. But people, I think they thought, oh, these two fat boys are about to eat four orders of chicken so and three what buckets I of did popcorn. Right after that, this is like this, you know, long stand up table. I reorganize it like my son does with magnet tiles. I, I put all the sauces on one side and organize like it's origami. And then I put the four chicken fingers, rectangles, so we try to make him look into. We try to make it visually look like yeah. a buffet. Buffet. We didn't want to say, hey, "Everybody, look at us! We brought chicken." Yeah, but when we first put it down, it looked like it was just for us. You know. <laughs> but then it was. Then the pity eating came into play because anybody who would walk by us, we would say, "Oh, hey, oh, have some chicken. Yeah. You like chicken? Crispy chicken?" And they, they would say, "Oh no, I'm full." And it's like, "No, no, please!" And they would just say, oh, "Okay." I guess yeah. I'll take this one. A lot of people <laughs> literally started just to eat and graze because they felt bad for us. Okay. Well, so it literally was the opposite of what I wanted it to be. <laughs> Role play though. I, I was Dion Waiters. I was the closest of Dion Waiters I'd ever be. What life. would your reaction have been on the other side? What if you were just sitting there and somebody else had come in to try to be a hero? Would you have recognized well, immediately? Like, Strong move. Yeah. Strong move. Like, wow. But it's also why... <laughs> Why it's like I'm perpetually underdressed to formal <laughs> events and shit like that. Or, you know, if I go out, like social, when I go on a date, it's like, you guys want to get a peel and eat shrimp? <laughs> you want to get barbecue? <laughs> you want a hot pot? <laughs> you know, 
This is not uh, I bought a bag of peanuts. Nobody ate them. You know why? There's no place to put the peanut shells. <laughs> it's not uh, social eating. It's very strange. You know? It, it, it did make me, I, I thought about that all, that moment a lot too, where I was just, I thought, oh, this this is how you and I like to sort of express ourselves and affection and gender and kindness to people, right? Let's just bring in a ton of food. Eat with your fingers. Everyone get messy. I guess not everybody you know, <laughs> receives it that way. No. I would say very successful corporate executives like do not yes. don't eat fried foods. <laughs> they definitely don't dip shit in everything into buttermilk ranch. They're not going to eat popcorn while talking to somebody. <laughs> and they're sure as hell aren't going to chew on peanuts. I guess we were wrong. I just I thought I I really expected a hero's welcome and we got nothing. It was a fucking terrible decision by me. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> So not what I wanted to be remembered by. Could we, was there anything we could have brought in the room that just like a, a it million? It just looked like that fat ass. That's what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. This is just, that's what everyone was thinking. Apple card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple card with Apple pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This should be something we should talk about. Best dishes that I didn't make or wish I had made. And it's funny, it was like I was watching on uh, on Instagram, Esther, the executive chef at Co. She was telling everybody how, I mean, it's a great eight-minute video, how the Co. egg was made. And um, and that's with fingerling potato chips, a soubise, not sous vide onion, uh, soubise, which is very soft onions with no color and a lot of butter, very, very translucent. Uh, um, a very lightly soft-boiled egg, smoked salt, caviar, um, purple potato vinegar, fin herbs. And I was looking at it, watching the video, and it's been so long since I've plated it. And I was thinking about this dish from Pim, and I was like, huh, I made that when I was like 28, 29. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's the best dish I've ever made. It's probably probably top two or three. Um, and I'm like, I can never get back to that thought process. Hmm. I could never get back to where I was back then. It would be different. I cared about things differently. What I wanted was very different. But it really does fall in line with what I felt like, you know, many dishes are, many of the best dishes are 27 to sort of 35. And how I think about food would never be, is, is like microwaving stuff or doing something a little bit different. That kind of thought process, innovation, creativity I don't even know how I came up with that. I mean, I know I have journals. Um, a lot of them got lost in Hurricane Sandy flood, but, you know, I, can't, I have some, I, I, rem, I remember how certain processes happened, but I wish I was able to document and I remember exactly the step-by-step of how I got there. And I remember over the years trying to make that more fancy because mm-hmm. I think sometimes the plating on that looks relatively unsophisticated. But it still has aged quite well. Mm. And it's a dish that everybody wants back at Co. And I think it's executed now better than it's ever been with Esther and her team before that, Sean, Sean Gray. And I'm like, in a lot of ways, it's, to me, just a perfect dish. And the reason I remember wanting to make an egg dish was because I felt that every great chef has an egg dish, mm-hmm. right? Keller has his egg custard. You have the most famous egg of them all is the arpege egg. You know, uh, Arzac had his sort of poached egg. And I wanted a, I wanted an egg dish. And for a long time, I thought it would be some chawan mushi. But I, again, it's been a long time since I went into any of the, the, the documents. But I was like, I don't know how I stumbled upon the egg within the egg with the caviar and the plating. I remember changing the plating so much. I remember when it needed fien herbs because it needed terror, a little bit of terrarion and mm-hmm. ananas flavor between the bites. It needed the vinegar, but not regular vinegar. The Japanese banamisu sweet potato. All of these had a purpose. Um, even the fingerling potato chips. I remember like, we should do it as palm soufflés. But it looked too too elevated. Mm-hmm. And it's just something the haphazard nature of those small fingerling potato chips made it look like stoner food without it being stoner food. It made it look intentional that it's a mess. Mm-hmm. And I was like thinking like, oh, from Jerry Salt's perspective, I was like, oh, this is sort of like a painting in a weird way. Hmm. Everything on that plate is intentional. Um, and I've tried to reorganize it, replate it in a variety of ways over the years. It's never worked. It's never, ever, ever worked. The subis, you cook down and use that as the bed, as a nest. And that was why I wanted it. I wanted the egg on the a nest of onion. So it looked like a nest, but also mainly it was so the egg wouldn't roll around. And I remember when we first put it on the menu, we called it was a hen egg because that was like the, the fucking what was in vogue. This is a quail egg. This is a duck egg. This is a, a hen egg. Of course, it's a fucking hen egg. <laughs> hen egg is your flavor profile. So stupid. <laughs> you know, so it's a, you know, I can't remember the farm organ. It's a hen egg. This is an avian yeah. ova. It's a chicken egg. No shit. <laughs> Boiled in water. And I can't remember the boiling process of that. It was legitimately five minutes, 10 seconds. That took like two months to nail. That temperature allows the yolk to be just warmed through, but the egg white exterior to be fully cooked through. And if you chilled it down, it would change the texture to a little bit more of a fudge. So when you brought it back up the temp for service, it would be like just oozing out. Mm Mm-hmm. 
We also would store it in smoked water. We would smoke water and then store the eggs peeled in that. But that took a lot of time. What looks like just a boiled egg, I assure you, like many, many fucking eggs lost their lives (laughs) for that right temperature. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember almost every step of the way why we did that. And I, I was thinking to myself, oh, that's so cool because... You know, Esther's doing a wonderful video about it. But I was like, I can never go back to that mindset. And it's just a a level of youth and a level of caring about things that I no longer care about. I was so much more selfish. But also, single-minded track life is only about what's on the fucking plate. And thinking about food obsessively all the time. I don't have the ability to think about that, nor do I want to. I don't feel bad that I think that way. Would be weird as if I still felt that way. Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't think it's a, so. We've talked about this a lot because you used to say, you know, there's a a sort of window in a chef's creative life where they're going to produce their best work. I remember you had your spreadsheet of like chefs and their ages when they came up with their dishes. I've never really thought it has to do with you and your age and what you're able to do. I think it has a lot more to do with. What speaking of the the what we're talking about in the beginning of the pod with the microwave cooking at the last second and, and what your priorities are at that minute, I think you have different parameters and priorities at that specific age that are driving you. I've got to go for it. I want an egg dish. I want you know I'm I'm cooking for this kind of restaurant. I'm trying to achieve this and this. Like you're just not chasing the same aims anymore. No, but also when I think about it now, at turning forty six, so that dish is what sixteen years old almost. I'm like, huh, I'm shocked at the level of maturity I had to make that dish Mm -hmm. because it's a very mature dish Mm -hmm. because like there were many elements that I could have made it to look more super high-end fine dining. But I remember like intentionally, let's make it look like it just sort of fell together. Well, you always ask this question when it comes to, to art, you know, how did you know or how do you know that it was done? Well, it wasn't per se because you, I got data. I remember, I remember feeding it to Steve Plotnicki of Opinion About Dining. And like, once you see that reaction, right? Like the reaction that I had eating that pandan, that pandan dessert, I was like, oh, fuck. That you can't lie. And I, I'm always looking for that. And for something that looks sort of relatively unassuming, I knew I had something besides me, my own experience tasting it. But there was also something, I won't use the word perverse is the way there's something again like sexual in the sense of like tampopo with egg yolks type of that scene where they're crossing there's something weird about that dish mm-hmm. because I've seen it many times when people eat it if you eat it like in its components it's not going to work mm-hmm. you need a slice of bread and it's something interact where you the best way to eat it is to mix it all up mm-hmm. crack open the egg let the egg almost explode out into the caviar you know there was a reason why we wanted the purple vinegar as well, because that was an homage to the very French technique of red wine braised eggs. There are many classic. That dish is an, a, a, a homage to a variety of dishes and flavors, um, none of which were new per se. But you know, now that I look back on it with some you know, perspective and I think a lot more maturity, I'm like, oh, I have to say of all the things, I love that dish the most because it's still cool. Mm. to me. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of dishes I made look dated as fuck or I'm like, whatever. But I'm also not 
I know there are a lot of people like, oh, you're not thinking about food the way you used to or whatever. And I'm like, no, if I was, I think that would be a bad thing. I'm more concerned now about different ways of cooking. And a younger version of me would probably say to, to, to about the turn 46 year old, Dave, what a loser, (laughs) you know, it's like, that's, that's fucking what a hack. That's Muzak. Yeah. That's your elevator rock shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, it's just different. And, you know, it's, it's causing me to reevaluate a lot of other chefs and what they've done later in their careers. And it's not going to resonate with a younger audience, clearly. But I'm okay with that because I lived that life. I was there. I was in my late 20s, early 30s that way. But I'm also like, weirdly, it's the first time I've ever thought about a dish. And I joke about a lot of things about you know, my involvement or in, in things. But that was the first time I can objectively say, I was like, oh, I'm proud of that dish. Mm-hmm. I'm proud that it still resonates. And ultimately, it's super delicious. It's got texture. It's got heat. It's got temperature contrast. It's difficult to plate. It looks easy. It's everything I love. And I think there's like, I've been lucky enough to have probably like five of those dishes. And I think most chefs would in, in their career probably would be lucky to have f- five. I think that would be the average of dishes. You're like, fuck. And I, I, I think that probably is the one that for me is number one. The, uh, cause it's not cool. The egg, the, the soft cooked egg sits, you split it open. So it's kind of oozing out. It sits on top of the nest. Where's the caviar go again? Is it t- on top of the egg white? And then the you put it on inside top? the egg. Oh, inside the yolk. Yeah. And then the fiend herb on top of the egg, potato chips on so, the side. So again, something that got improved over the years, what Sean was able to do, and I know I think Esther has done an even more elevated job, is you cook it. And if you cook, cut the egg properly, you can not puncture the egg yolk. Oh, interesting. So it literally just looks like like an alien. Uh-huh. Open with Open the egg. wide with this like center like a soft see, orb in the middle you can almost see the yellow reflecting off the white weirdly so it's like this yellow glow and then this canela of caviar coming straight out honestly it looks like an alien i, I don't really think it looks delicious but it is like well i'm that's it's a strange thing <laughs> it looks like the sphere in michael but Crichton's that in world. and of itself it took so long to do in a slow evolution and even cutting your knife or sharpening a certain way. So you get that right. And the reason to do that was once you press the egg yolk and it's so gentle and it's plating, once you press the egg yolk with the, with a fork or a knife, the egg yolk immediately burst Mm -hmm. and it just spills out, spills out all over the caviar and starts mixing in with the rest of the dishes. Like that's what I really love. It's something super simple. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of different ways to eat it. You can choose your own adventure and how you want to do it, more or less. And I can't say that about any other fucking dish, quite frankly. And I love it because it was like classic. And I, if I looked at it, I think by making it look the way I did, it is now intentional. So we could have made it look like, you know, I don't know, Yannick Elena or. <laughs> Some mm-hmm. other famous chef mm-hmm. would make, but it's not. It's it is what it is. So, what I what I like what you said was the best way to eat is just to mix it all together because it's so so often. I'm, I'm sure you've seen this too. Is I always feel really bad when I go to a restaurant, and you know I've been obviously very fortunate to eat a lot of nice restaurants, and you sit at a, 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 a fine dining restaurant, and you see somebody who's maybe you know saved up, and this is their first time eating the restaurant, 
and they sort of think the approach to a delicate dish, a delicate plated dish, is to eat it really delicately too. You know, like a little bite of this piece, a little bite of the garnish, just like a little sliver of this thing. And you think to yourself, you should really just pop that whole thing in your mouth. <laughs> like that's the best yeah. way to eat the dish. I always feel so, I love that you say like, I've played this very intentionally. It's very beautiful. Best way to eat it is to fuck it all up it's and all eat it. It's all going to turn into shit anyway. <laughs> just eat it. I, I especially love those dishes, you know, uh, that plating is so underrated to me of, of this is on the verge of something you press on it and this is going to explode right there. And there wasn't any sodium amalgamate. There was no nothing, right? There's no serification. Yeah. It is just all as you know, and it's an homage. It's very, very much with this Garnier Passard vibe that I think I was trying to go for back then, but it's not. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is eating this dessert from Pim, it's quite frankly, whoever it was, Pim or dessert, whoever made it, probably like, I wasn't even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It's probably not even their best thing. But for me, I enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, and beauty's in the eye of the beholder because maybe no one else felt that way. But I, I did. And I love those experiences. And sometimes it really resonates with whoever was creating it. Sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, um, I want to be able to, Talk about some dishes moving forward where I, I'm like, oh, fuck. I wish that I made that goddamn dish. Or I had it and I'm like, it's that moment of, oh, fuck. This is not give, what I was expecting. Give us a teaser of what, what, what is something we'll talk about in the future. Give us a dish that you had wished you had made where you just were filled with jealousy when you first tasted it and just wish that it had been yours. Um. I'm thinking here, I think just in that mode, one of the best dishes of all time is oysters and pearls at French Laundry. Yeah. It's, I mean, I made a a knockoff version of that with uni and tofu once because that dish, I mean, there's a lot of, most of Keller's great dishes are in the canapé section. Um, and I've talked about this just before, but again, I'm sure we're going to come up with hundreds of these things, but that was the one that I think about a lot because I do think it's probably one of the greatest combinations of things from an American perspective. Um, like a sabayon, which is like an emulsion with warm tapioca, trimmed oysters, caviar. And it, you know, he, and he has his Limoges plateware and all that stuff, but the original version of that I remember reading in that French laundry cookbook being like, I don't even understand. <laughs> I remember all kinds of things I didn't understand that time, like foie gras. I was like, what is even, but that dish I couldn't even understand because this is before boba tea as well for me. And I was just trying to imagine what that might taste like. Could it be that good? This is before blogs and anything. And when I had it at per se for the first time, I was like, Oh, this is a perfect fucking bite of food. Yeah. It's really like three bites. But again, you get temperature contrast. These are the things that I go for personally, not for everyone else. You need to have temperature contrast. Yep. So hard to do, right? Even if you're using modern techniques where it's cold and hot, textural contrast. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be soft and hard. It's different flavors, different textures of soft. And all the things that attack your palate when I say it's salty, sweet, sour, bitter, umami. That one has the the salinity and minerality of those oysters. 
you get the texture from the the tapioca that you don't even know know where that's coming from. It's chew. Mm-hmm. And then you get the pop from the caviar and you have all the fat from the savion and, and the sauce. It's just number one, decadent as fuck. <laughs> Two, this is where again, like making the quotation marks makes sense, right? Oysters and pearls. It's a a nod to something that happens in nature. It's a reference point. So it's not like crazy, but to be able to conjure all those things up, yeah, that's a fucking stroke of genius. It is, for me, the best dish in his whole many great dishes. I mean, I'd probably put the cornet of salmon. That's one and two. Yeah, There's many other fucking great dishes, but that's what I think, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you're very lucky if you're a chef and you get one of these. You're so lucky to get one. So, so, so lucky to get one of them. Um, and there's a lot. There's so many dishes. And, I, you know, sometimes I don't, I, it's hard for me just to think off the top of my head, but a lot of times I was just thinking about it. I'm like, fuck, man, what a, what a, what a sick dish. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are dishes that I don't even necessarily love. But I, I love what it means and what it does. And, um, you know, Corey Lee's at Bennu, the, 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 the quail egg that's the thousand year egg. The yeah. pitan. I hate, I hate it. I told her, I fucking hate that dish. But I love the balls that it has. To me, it's the most. What fuck- it says, what it does, where he puts it in the menu, all of the whole context around that dish. Yeah, I got you. You don't start a dinner with one of the most offensive things you can put in your mouth. Century egg. Yeah. You know, but to, to mute it, to turn it down, and to do all of these things. Only someone like Corey could do. And I love, even though I don't love it, I love what it's trying to say. And that's what I wish, you know, to be able to come up with those kinds of dishes. It's just like, and I love what, again, this parfait at Pim's dish, you know, what it was trying to do. It's, it has to have something to say without being, you know, verbose with yeah not yeah exactly not being hit you on the head it's a political statement it just has it's it expresses a perspective it means something yeah you know so and again it doesn't have to be fancy at all like you know there's so many dishes it's a dish that for me those dishes you're talking about like the century egg what excites me about it i think what you're talking about is like whether or not you like it it's something that if somebody who did not understand food at all. If somebody asked me, I don't get why you like going to restaurants. I could talk for 25 minutes about why that dish is great and why it's interesting and why it's meaningful and why it's delicious. And it explains why I have passion for any of this. Like that's what is, is cool about a dish like that to me. You know, I will t- probably say the same for most of when I had my first time I had a Gramercy Tavern, I had, uh, two flavors that I never had before that never went with dessert as far as I was concerned. Again, pushing what I can understand about food. One was a black pepper ice cream. Hmm. Another one was not like an olive oil gelato, but it was like an olive oil, like flan type of thing. And I was like, hmm, you know, but there was black pepper ice cream to me that was hmm. genius because you're like, that doesn't go together. And I tasted it and I'm like, huh. This is almost offensive to me in my throat because it hurts. <laughs> it's so spicy. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, all the ice cream did was accentuate what a 
flavor of a black pepper does. Mm -hmm. And do it in a way. And I was like, oh, this is fucking genius. Mm -hmm. People might say, oh, I don't like it. I don't even know if I liked it. Mm -hmm. But I've loved it. And I wish that like, to be able to do something so basic like that too, to me, it's like, Mm -hmm. that's genius shit. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, Yeah. I think about all these kinds of dishes a lot where I'm like, you know, so good. I wish I'd done it is the is the best though. You know, I, I should keep a running tally of those things, but Well, I like that it's not just I like that you can still encounter that. That's the hopeful part to me is yeah, oysters and pearls, yeah, things that happened when you were, you know, in your twenties and thirties, but it's fun that you can still be blown away by something completely unexpected today. Um let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. I, I read this and I just wanted a, a note um, because I'm probably going to give a big shout out to this person uh, in my top five summer foods. Uh-huh. Uh, Rick Bishop of Mountain Sweetberry Farms. You may not know him, but he was a mainstay for 30 plus years at the the Farmer's Market in Union Square in New York. He retired. Um, and I love that man. And I had a deep relationship with him and I haven't seen him in quite some time since we moved out here. Um, even still, I stopped going to the mar- Farmer's Market for some time even before that. But, you know, it's hard to imagine New York City dining without him. Mm. You know, but times change. Just one of the one of those like you know, TriStar strawberries are famous, but just like a quirky guy who would also go hunting for wild ginseng. <laughs> like Chang. <just. laughs> I love I love Rick Bishop. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know he's gonna be sorely missed. Um but um yeah, let's we'll go right into the top five summer foods. Um my top five summer foods. Okay. What I like to eat. And right off the bat. Very controversial, even though it has nothing to do with it, because we're supposed to talk about East Coast, West Coast. We'll do both. Let's do top five summer foods. And then we're going to East Coast, West Coast. Oh, fine. Fuck it. My top five summer foods, since we're in the hottest summer, we've already talked shit about grilling hamburgers. <laughs> of course, we're not a grill vegetables, motherfuckers. <laughs> top five summer foods. Watermelon. Yeah. Moonengman. Mm-hmm. Which I love all these food writers now talking about. <laughs> Oh, North Korean food. Uh-huh. Panzanella. Tomato, bread, salad. Wonderful. And I just had one. Uh, Corey and I had lunch at uh, Zuni. Delicious. Uh-huh. That chicken really is. It's good, right? It's, it's fucking delicious. I, I would say that, too. That's a dish that I'm like, there's a lot of knockoffs. Judy's a, Judy Rogers, the chef there. Late Judy Rogers. It's fucking insane. Yeah. It's so good. It's really the panzanella, though. Yes, because they they. But it's not really a lettucey panzanella. It's much more of a like an arugula, whatever. But, but it's, it's bread that's just soaked with vinaigrette, and then the move that that dish is so ballsy. It's all about the moves, right? They they chop up the chicken that's cooked in the wood fire oven, and then they just scrape all the juices onto the, onto the salad. So good, like that's the move. It's the kind of salad that I like to eat. Dressed in chicken fat. So I got watermelon. That's my, you know, Moonengmin, which is pickled beef broth noodles on chewy buckwheat noodles. Ice cold. Again, once America starts 
clamoring for Moon Hangman, I, I think it's time to leave. Because <laughs> then it's all bullshit. It's a simulation. <laughs> Moon Hangman. Panzanella, which is, again, a bread. It's really a bread salad. Ice cream sandwiches. These are mine. It's important. Now, you can't do a cone. It's an ice cream sandwich. And it's only one kind. It's the, the cheap chocolate. Chocolate cookie cake. This is a surprise one for my top five summer foods. Gazpacho. <laughs> Bo- both. White gazpacho is amazing. <laughs> You're gazpacho. You fucking laugh. You always laugh. You laugh at gazpacho. I think it's delicious. <laughs> like you want to eat a bowl of gazpacho? Sure. Like a whole it's bowl. so refreshing. It's so delicious. Properly done gazpacho is wonderful. And nothing tells me summer than gazpacho. <laughs> Really, the two foods I'm like Moon Hangman or Gaspacho. Nothing says summer more than Cape Cod. Yeah, more than Gaspacho in a seersucker suit. (laughs) Um, No, I I think Gaspacho's highly underrated. I'm. This is gonna be one of those surprising moments where people are gonna be shitting all over me for laughing at you. I just have never heard anybody list Gaspacho in their top five of anything. Summer foods. Just gazpacho. I haven't thought about gazpacho. It's so good. <sighs> like, this is a... The shitty gazpacho is garbage. Okay, but we're and talking about The reality about is, good gazpacho is not really good for you. Yeah. I mean, it's good because it's going to have a lot of healthy fats. Uh-huh. But basically, it's an emulsion with olive oil. Mm-hmm. You know? It's so much olive oil in it. It's just a bit shocking. <laughs> Like a good one. <laughs> but so, okay, this is this is the opposite of a BLT. Now you want peak summer tomatoes, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, right? You need best-in-class ingredients for this. You yeah. know why? Because it's not a fucking sandwich. <laughs> Some bullshit heirloom <laughs> nonsense. We're dribbling all over the fucking place. Gazpacho's in a bowl, contained environment, not in a fucking sandwich. <laughs> or a shot glass. Yeah. Which, which usually comes in for me. That's yeah, great. Cucumbers. That's a Peppers. strong top list. That's all nice, cooling, summer, refreshing foods. What was what my, was number six on your list? My plus one. Yeah, I knew you had one. I mean, Koreans eat um, samgyetang, which is like a ginseng Korean. I think any steaming hot bowl of soup is a summer food. But samgyetang specifically, the yeah, chicken I, with I, the... I hate that dish. That's just why I never fucking... I, I'm not eating food with ginseng in it. That's just me. I don't give a shit what my ancestors did. I don't fucking give a shit about that dish. <laughs> I don't care about the meaning... Yeah, I can like, oh, it's great. But you don't, is it on yours or that's number no. six or no? No, I'm sure you know Lee's like freaking out right now. <laughs> but ramen, any kind of hot jiga, any kind of hot soup or even a stew, delicious. I will tell you the one thing that's off the menu for me, hmm. not stew. What I want to say is anything that's a braised meat, get the fucking out of here. I don't want to see that till winter. I don't want to see any braised meats. I don't want to see that till no pot roast. No till, pot roast. No, I like really want not in the mood for a heavy meat mm-hmm. in summer, right? Mm-hmm. What I want is gazpacho, man, and I want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta keep it, keep your meals light so you can stay on your toes on the dance floor. That's what you want. Watermelon do. is the best fruit in the S- summer. Watermelon, I look forward to all year. Summer watermelon. Uh, Moonling Man, if you don't know, you're never going to really know because you're only going to start eating this because you're going to start reading about this shit. So when they make it the way you like it, the broth is almost like a, a what, like like 
Antarctica in the summer, right? So mid slushy, icy. Moon Nangmen historically is a dish of poverty, mm-hmm. like many of the great dishes. It's also a dish that I, I just, again, I could be wrong because now people eat uni and stuff. The noodles are very chewy. They're mostly buckwheat. There's some acorn in there, but very, very chewy. So much so like people can like choke on them, which is why people want them cut, which mm-hmm. is again, Joe Chang would never allow that to happen. My dad's favorite dish, regardless of the season, was mooningmen because that's the only thing that was flavorful that you could have year round. So if you have beef, you break it down, you try to make a soup out of that and you have chunks, small slivers of beef in that. So you can save that, freeze that in the cold time. And you have donchimi or white kimchi and all those flavors. So to mix those together, that would just seem natural. And that's why there's different kinds. There's like three different kinds of mooningmen for the most part. Um, but the one that most people eat here is it definitely originated from North Korea. And this is pre-38th parallel. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't originate like 30 years ago. <laughs> um, it's it's an outrageously delicious dish. But Again, like I, I say this in earnest, I would be shocked if this really picks up, right? I just, I've tried to give this to non-Korean people whenever you get, so when you have Korean barbecue, you almost always finish your meal with moon naengmyeon. I mean, bibi naengmyeon is for losers. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't say that because my mother-in-law loves bibi naengmyeon. Uh-huh. You know, but I'm just saying. This, like, this is the much. I think the southern is like really southern more, people like 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 bibin naengmyeon more than mul naengmyeon. That's like the extremely mild. No, it's gochujang. Oh, okay. What's the extremely mild version of it? Is that mul naengmyeon? Is like the more mild. That's it's like the, super the broth. Flame. Okay, and you want to serve it cold. Sometimes I, I, for me, I don't love a lot of the modern taste of mul naengmyeon. It's too sweet. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, again, I'm a classicist at heart. <laughs> but anyway, that that's my five watermelon. The only fruit I really want. Okay. I guess I know this fuck is going to say pluots. <laughs> I just love hearing you say pluots. Can't, can't take the fucking San Francisco <laughs> out of him. Moon Eggman, Panzanella, Gaspacho, ice cream sandwiches, and hot steaming bowls of soup. I would noodles. eat that. I would yeah. eat that whole menu. I think it's the best top five list of all time. What's yours? <sighs> Watermelon cracks my top five. I, just, I, I didn't want to have any repeats with you, but I can't avoid watermelon. You stole, you didn't steal. You took Panzanella off the draft before I could. I love Panzanella, but it's not on my list. Watermelon. I'm going to say the whole stone fruit family. Pluots, peaches in the summer. I look forward to it all year long. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Northern Californian at heart. I just want super juicy, not falling apart. I want like a little texture. A stone fruit at heart. I'm a, <laughs> from Orange County. I tried, I tried to bury that. I tried to bury that past. You voted uh, for DeSantis this year or what? Jesus, dude, please. No, I did not vote for DeSantis uh, yet. Um, my noodle dish is Hayashi Chuka, which is like a chilled Japanese. Boring. What is boring? It's Hayashi soy, soy and vinegar dressing with like so, spicy mustard, yeah, ham cop, and eggs. And chop, trying to, again, trying to copy Korea. <laughs> okay. Get over yourself. Using Chinese fam. noodles. This is, I love Hayashi Chuka. Uh, what else is on my list? You have summer rolls. Oh yeah. Can I tell you the truth? I always do. I have a real problem right now. My wife confided to me she does not like summer rolls. Had I known this before we got married, I don't know. I don't know. It's just Grace. I'm telling you the truth. This is a pretty big 
big revelation to drop on me many years later. I mean, like, I love ordering summer rolls. She knows this. And then she just said, yeah, I think okay. That's like, that's like, oh, I, by the way, I voted for DeSantis kind of <laughs> shit right there. That's what that is. The reason but, I'm not putting summer rolls on the summer menu, it's two on the nose, number one. But please, coming from you, I expect I nothing less. Get, get out of here. <laughs> Again, you're the fucking asshole that wears the t-shirt of the band to summer, the band that's going to see you live. Summer rolls. Summer rolls. It's in the name. And it's fucking delicious. You can eat it year round. Which is also like my number five, which I'll get to in a second. But summer rolls, listen, I agree. I eat them year round. There's nothing that makes them specifically about the summer, but eating them in the summer is great. Eating them anytime is great. <laughs> and then my number five was just in the same vein as you're just like, I like hot soup. You know what a food for all seasons is for me? Just curry rice. <laughs> no, this doesn't make any sense. I Mine has, my number six was hot soup because again, it has a cooling effect. There are in plenty Asia, of other summer. If it's 100 degrees Listen. outside, you eat a super hot bowl of soup where if you burn your mouth and you start sweating from the soup, you are like air conditioned when you leave the restaurant. Listen, I'm not trying to be a fucking summer Grinch about this stuff, but like nothing, the fruit, I, I understand. I can only eat that in the summer because it's only good in the summer. As for what else is a summer food, I'll eat anything in the summer. Curry rice is a I don't fucking care. cop out. I'll you know eat it. fucking braised meat. I'll eat whatever you want in the summer. It's a cop out. There is. <laughs> okay. Curry rice with uh, <laughs> summer squash <laughs> and capons. Well, listen, um, we got to get going. Uh, we're going <laughs> to, we've been trying to talk about the, the, the East Coast, West Coast, Biggie, Tupac. What's better produce battle for some time? But I, you know, hot take right off the bat. I'm telling you right now, Harry's Berry is not as good as Rick Bishop's TriStar Strawberries, which are a California breed of strawberries regardless, right? But you need cool weather at night and hot summer days to make it super delicious. And they can only really grow. TriStar Strawberries are from California. Guess what? They grow better fucking in New York and they're best, better than Harry Berry's. You're you're like a you're a closet summer summer girl. You just love you the things you're the, the way you're talking right now is just a, a poem about the summer. Cool, Sangria all cool, day long. Cool baby. nights, hot summer days. Rose all day long. <laughs> it's a hot chain summer. A chilled rose of a, oh, like a slushy rose. Woo. All you know right. what I'm gonna come up with? It's gonna me. become the new rage. You're gonna read about it. Rose slushy boba. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Uh, are you rushing Tridelt with me this summer? Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, I'm in the Kappa <laughs> demo, whatever. Um, give us five stars. <laughs>